And now the crowd wants Harden to go for 50. He's dribbling. He may as well. He's this close. There he goes. Down the middle. Pulls up. Lays it in. And 50 it. points for James Harden. O'Neal now switches over to Chris Paul. And Rubio's got the matchup of Harden. He's at the Rocket R by himself with 7 on the clock. He dances to his left. He shoves off with his right. He steps back for three. He hits the MVP. Holds his shirt up. Walking the other way. He's got 47. Harden outside the arc. Now steps back for three. That shot is good for James Harden. He's got 36. And he is the first player in NBA history to make nine threes against the Boston Celtics. He's been nothing short of sensational. He's got about three or 50 point games this month. The dude is on another level. Make no mistake about it. In 21 consecutive games of 30 plus, it's phenomenal. No doubt. Shoots for three over Davis. Got it. James Harden with 34 points. James Harden's playing a different game than everybody else. James gonna be James. I don't care who on the court, me, anybody, he's gonna be him, and we need him to be him. That's why he's the MVP. As the second quarter comes near a close, two seconds, one second, Harden, another deep three over Anderson. Got it again. Forget about it. They get it to Harden, guarded by Thompson. Three seconds left. Fires a contested three, and rattles it down! One second left! Incredible shot by James Harden! Just respect what he's doing. You know, guys who play in this league know how hard that is. Two guys in his grill. It did not matter. J. Cole's Middle Child is the song that I feel like I hear everywhere. I'm already hearing it in arenas. I feel like it's going to be the song of the summer, even though we're still in January. And maybe I just have the song in my head. But I feel like the Raptors are a middle child in a way. And I, I'm not saying that to say some shade, but we saw them against Houston and they feel like they're elite, elite enough to kind of get a win against Dallas. But on Houston, when you needed that A-plus performance, they weren't, the guy who was there was not J. Cole and Dreamville, but your boy. And when I say your boy, obviously I'm referring to Tyler Ennis, who played with James Harden. Just take the floor and, and cape <laughs> for your boy, James Harden. I think this season, last season, even the season before, which was what, the 2017 season? I don't know. Whatever 2016, 2017. 2016 is when I was on the Rockets. And obviously, I'm a basketball fan, so I watch. And I kind of generalized Harden as like, all right, he's, he could score. But I was the same as a, a regular fan. He doesn't play defense. And, and basically nitpicked how good he really was until I watched him played against him in practice and then watched him on a nightly basis. I don't think he missed a game while I was there. Maybe he missed one or two, but he's playing every night. You know, he's playing every practice. He's not sitting out. And that was something that impressed me just because obviously now in the, the times where everybody's resting and I think it's more impressive. His run now is he hasn't missed a game yet. And we talked about it a little bit with Kawhi. His streak is what at 22 games or 23 games of 20 plus. <laughs> where James is at 30 plus and he hasn't missed a game yet. So I think that's more impressive. And, you know, I think three years ago is when I realized like, okay, he's doing things I've never seen anybody do in person or in general. And I played with Giannis as well. And obviously he was a little bit younger. He wasn't who he is now, but you know, he's the first player where I really watched and was kind of like a fan, even though I was, you know, I could have been subbed in at any moment. I was a fan watching and we talked about um, me and a couple other teammates was just like, he, uh, he's obviously a super max guy, but if you take his first half stats alone and make him play the first two quarters and what he averages there, he's still <laughs> averaging someone who's going to make a hundred plus million dollars. And I think that was something where we, we kind of all realized like, okay, this guy's going to take off and, and he's been MVP the last two years or going to be an MVP this year. Yeah. Harden's got the streak of 23 games straight. Kawhi's 22. The issue is in, we watched the Raptors take their shot at him, and they've got you know great wing defenders, Kawhi and Danny Green, and they were trapping him whenever they could. They were trying to double him on the inbounds just so someone else would have to start possessions with the ball. Right, and he still went off against them. So to me, it's like, well, what do you do against this guy? Because I have said in the past that some of it is just usage and opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like if you took KD off the Warriors and put him in Houston with the same supporting cast and said, hey man, here's a ball, get up as many shots as you want. If you took Steph and did the same thing 
would they not put up similar numbers? Because their percentages are just as high, if not higher. So would they not put up those numbers with that amount of runway from a coach? That was my thing. But this entire conversation started because after last week's podcast, you said to myself and super producer Emil Delich, yeah, I'm on that Daryl Morey train. Like Harden is the best offensive player ever. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can go that far because, I mean, sacrilegious to even think about that when you're wearing MJs on your feet. Right. And, I mean, Wilt changed the sport. Like, they had mm-hmm. to change rules to deal with Wilt. And then Harden goes on this insane run for, for a week, and he may average 40 for a month. Right. And I'm like, well, man, I guess Tyler was right. <laughs> um, if you took those other guys and put them in Harden's situation, would they put up similar numbers? I think the reason I don't think it'll happen is because James is a better playmaker than KD. Even though KD can make plays and he's a, I think he's an underrated passer and obviously he could score the way James does. And I think Steph would have a better chance of doing it just because he's able to manufacture plays and score and make others better. But I think James just has the combination of the three ball, finishing at the rim, getting to the free throw line. I think he had 60 and he was five for 20 from the three point line. Whereas I think if Steph goes 5 for 20, I don't think he's going to get even close to 60 points. I may be wrong on that, but I I don't think they could just make plays for themselves and others the way James does in the combination of assists, threes, getting to the free throw line, obviously, and finishing at the rim. And that's the reason why I think he's so close to being, or I think he is, the best offensive player ever. See, I disagree because Harden, the bulk of his points come from three and from the line. He is the prototype of this analytics era where we want good shots. We want it to be efficient. He's figured out that cheat code and taken it to the max. And if you get too close to him, he's going up underneath your arms and he's going to the line. Right. And if you too far off, he's going to create space with the step back or the escape dribble. And he's going to let it fly from three. Steph's a better free throw shooter than him. Mm-hmm. Steph's a better three point shooter than him. So he's actually better at the things that, makes Harden great. The difference I think in Steph and Harden is not necessarily ability, it's mentality. Harden's a dog. Harden will feel no ways about taking seven, eight, nine shots in a row. Right. And really, if exposing a matchup and and forcing you to make a substitution or switch, where I think Steph goes on runs where he's like playing to the crowd. You know, it's like this is his theater and he wants right. to get everyone hype. Right. But I don't I don't necessarily know if he has that instinct where I'm really gonna go for 40, 50, 60 mm-hmm. every night. He'll take three or four shots, but then it's like, well, let me get Clay a look. Right. Let me get let me get a lob to Looney, right? I think that so I think it's difference in mentality. Not that James doesn't facilitate. He'll make the right play where I think Steph will go out of his way not to have that spotlight on where James mm-hmm. is like, this is what I'm here for. Yeah, I think the difference in that is that Steph is a point guard. Mm-hmm. And even though James is playing point or the last two years before uh, CP got there, naturally he's a scorer. Yes. And he's played the two for the majority of his career up until he got uh, D'Antonio's head coach. So I think as a point guard, you know, his job, Steph's job is to get others involved and keep everybody happy in a sense, even though he's the star player, he's the main scorer. Um, and and obviously he's doing that to more of an extreme now that he has KD and Boogie and you know you'll see him going his runs but I think there's times um, where he'll kind of take a back seat purposely and kind of get those guys going or if if Clay's hot you you'll see him looking for Clay whereas other than CP3 you could see PJ Tucker hit four threes in a row but the best option for Houston is for James to continue going and making the play for them so I think that's the difference I I don't know man I th- I think. If anyone could mirror the the stats that Harden's doing, I think it would be Steph. But I, I just can't see KD every play down making a play and at that the usage that James does. As we bring this to the Raptors, I'm watching that Houston game through the lens of what does this mean for Toronto? Guards who can get wherever they want on the floor. Well, we know Steph, his career numbers are best against the Raptors. Like He crushes Toronto whenever he plays them. Kyrie has ate the Raptors this year. Mm. Went for 43 points in one game, went for 28 and 18 in another. And Harden puts on this massive performance. Even Luka, who's not a point guard by position, but 
is spending a lot of time with the ball in his hands, which is why Dennis Smith Jr. had a sabbatical because <laughs> he kind of felt some type of way about it, and now he's back. But for all intents and purposes, in this era of positionless basketball, yeah. Luca is the playmaker, yep. and he goes off for 35, triple-double, the youngest player ever to get a triple-double um, with 30 points. Did it faster than LeBron did it. Is there something to be concerned about, because I am, about the fact that you've had these offensive playmakers, the head of the snake, four different teams at an elite level that have just routinely just run through the Raptors like nobody's business? I think it's tough to to look at it that way, just because we're talking about Steph Curry, who's averaging, I don't know how much. 29. 29 points a game. So technically, you you if he scores 25 points, which is still a lot, you held him under his average. So every night, on average, he's getting 29 points. So the way you look at it as a defender is, I held Steph to 25, which is a lot of points, which could impact the game totally, but he's averaging 29. So on a nightly basis, anything under that is a, a pretty good job. So when you look at James Harden, who's averaging 30-plus points a game, you're not going to hold him to under 20 points. So a game where he scores... 25 to 30 points I think that's at this point in the year with the way he's playing I think that's a pretty good job considering he's getting 60 and 50 and a triple double and and things like that I think it's hard to really lock down a player in the NBA to the point where you're not going to lock Steph to single digits unless it's Steph locking himself in a sense where he's just missing shots but I think Luca has the ball a lot Luca has the ball and he's the playmaker for the Mavs at this point so I think he made some big shots and, you know, as a rookie, everybody's looking at him, but he's been playing professional for probably five, six years already, even though he's super young. And um, when someone has the ball that much, I think it's very idiotic to think you're going to lock someone down at the NBA level. People hate on the Hawks because they, they basically traded the spot where Luka was taken, got Trey Young at a future pick. I mean, to me, you can't grade that trade until you know what that future pick is. Mm-hmm. And really even to you know what Trey Young is. Right. But I look back at the draft, and it's easy to redraft after the fact. But I've even felt the same at the time. The Suns, who just hired Luca's international coach mm-hmm. to be their coach, and Sacramento, who Vladi, who's, you know, a fellow countryman, if anyone's gonna know him, it would be him. Right. Those two teams basically passing on Luca mm-hmm. for Aiden, everyone wants a big, I get that. But even Sacramento for Bagley Jr. I'm just like, man, we're going to look back at that 5, 10, 15 years and being like, what a colossal mistake. Because Luca already, he's already an all-star. Right. He's going to be rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. It's tough to redraft things. But even at the time, I was like, what am I missing here? This guy was an MVP at the age of 18 right. in a man's league. Why would you not think he's going to be a player in the league when mm-hmm. he's played against competition that at times is better than high-level NCAA competition. I think it comes down to two things that I've noticed just uh, throughout being a professional is one, everybody's worried about Europe players, guys in, in coming from EuroLeague, guys that are young like him, especially an example is Bogdanovich who got drafted by Phoenix the same year I did and he came over for the first time last year. And I just think it's, you know, with the drafting of Bargnani and, and different guys who didn't pan out to be the next dirt like they're pegged to be, I think it's hard for, you know, GMs to kind of get the fan base behind someone that they've never seen play. And that takes me to the next point of where I think Aiton was the obvious number one pick. So even though I think if the Phoenix front office thought Luke was better, I think they're taking a risk. And if Aiton turns out to be the next Shaq and Doncic doesn't, that's a bigger risk for them rather than picking Aiton, who everybody pegged as number one, and Doncic becoming the best player in the class. So I think that was the safer pick in a sense, and I think a lot of times teams take that route rather than putting their neck on the line for a player to kind of come to fruition and reach their potential, they pick the, the safer pick, and I think that was Aiton. I think Sacramento could have got away with it, but with Fox and a couple other guards who they kind of put their money on, I think it's hard to they might have ended up in the same situation as Dallas where you have two guys, two ball handlers who can't get along. And I think, you know, that's what Dallas is dealing with now. I just look at Phoenix. You have Booker. You can bring in Luka. You have like the splash infants, like yeah. <laughs> a taller version of what the Warriors have yeah. with Steph and 
with Clay, the way the game is going, where everyone's trying to play at a higher pace, everyone's getting up threes. To me, you would have been set for the next five, ten years. But right. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. The Raptors. I mean, I'm always have a level of concern. I'm always, you know, the pessimist, and you kind of talk me off the ledge. <laughs> twenty one turnovers versus Houston. I'm like, what, what's going on here? In third quarter against Dallas, a game where you thought they're going to put that game away and get the bench in the fourth quarter and rest guys like Kyle and Kawhi. Shot 21% in the third quarter, made that a game. Dallas comes back and gets the lead, and they executed late, which was good, but I was uncertain with how they're playing. The thing that makes me feel good is you only have one Western Road trip for the rest of the year. They've done their hard work this year in terms of winning on the road, swept Golden State, swept Memphis, swept Phoenix, swept Sacramento, swept Utah, now swept Dallas. So from a schedule standpoint... It kind of opens up for them where they only have Western road games against Oklahoma City, who they haven't played yet. The, Oklahoma City is the only team that they haven't played yet. Um, and only three more games on the road period in the West. That's kind of why I'm feeling good about them. The other reason I'm feeling good about them is Kawhi. In, in December, he averaged uh, 29 points. That's fifth all time for the Raptors in terms of average points per game in a month. January is 31.6. That's the first. Most points a Raptor has ever scored in a month jumps over Vince. I feel really good about his game. I feel like throughout this season, he's gotten better. I've got an extended time to rest. Their next game isn't until Thursday, a big one against the Bucks, which has some kind of playoff seeding implications. Is it fair to say that Kawhi is the best player in the East right now? I think I'd still go with Giannis, honestly. Even taking out the games that Kawhi's missed, I think Giannis is doing so much for the Bucks in the sense of scoring the ball, making plays, rebounding. I think the Raptors are still able to win games without Kawhi, whereas I think if Giannis goes out for an extended period of time, I think the Bucks will struggle more than the Raptors would, missing those two guys on each team. But I think he's right up there. I mean... He's super important to the Raptors. Obviously, they're able to still win games, but I think if, if we're talking about playoffs, both of them are really going to have to take the game to the next level for them to win against each other even. You know, I think that's going to be a huge matchup you know, in the playoff series. And you know, honestly, I think if I'm the Raptors, I don't want to play the Bucks in the playoffs. Really? So out of... I mean, let's... Obviously, Boston. L- let's throw Indiana out of this conversation. Prayers up for Victor Oladipo, who got hurt against the Raptors. Quad right. injury, done for... The year is probably going to miss the beginning of next year. Right. So interesting to see what they do at the deadline. If they're a buyer to make up for that loss or they're a seller because, you know, they've taken a step back. I'll get your thoughts on that in a second. But we're looking at the really what are the top four teams coming into the year and now with Oladipo's injury. The Raptors, Milwaukee, and then Boston and Philly. That. Hmm. Of those three, the team you fear the most is Milwaukee? No, I think I'd fear Boston more just because of the guard play, obviously, and how deep they are. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the Raptors' best attributes is how deep they are and how many players they can count on at any moment with the experience and and, just having depth at almost every position outside of probably the the four spot with Pascal and having to move a couple of the forwards down. But you know, I think Boston is a team I went on to play, but I'd rather play Philly than to play Milwaukee if I'm the Raptors. Think about that. That's crazy because we're getting close to the All-Star game. All-Star reserves are going to be announced on Thursday. Philly could have three Mm All-Stars. Like That's not out of the realm of possibility. Are Kyle and Siakam both going to get into the game? Those are bubble guys. It's a stretch. Is Middleton and Bledsoe going to get in the game for Milwaukee? That's a stretch. Are Horford and Tatum going to get in the game for Boston? Again, that's a stretch. It's not a stretch to think that Jimmy Butler... And Ben Simmons are going to be all-stars in the mm-hmm. East. So the fact that this team has three legitimate all-stars, and they're the team that, of those three, you'd most want to see in the playoffs. That's crazy, you know? Right. And I think having Embiid obviously gives the Sixers a, an up on any team they play in the league. You know, no exceptions. But I think they're, they're still a new team. They haven't played together for a year yet. Ben Simmons is is still not shooting the ball, and I think in the playoffs it makes it harder for him to go against a team 
seven games in a row not shooting a jump shot. And obviously he's super talented, probably be an all-star this year. But, you know, I think the Raptors are able to throw guys at Jimmy. They're able to throw guys at Ben Simmons. They have Valanchunas coming back soon. They have Ibaka. They have Greg Monroe. Probably even throw Pascal on him uh, on Embiid at the point where I think he's still going to do what he has to do. But I think they're able to contain him a little bit more than, you know, throwing Kawhi on Giannis and, you know, him still averaging what he is now and what could have been an MVP season if James Harden wasn't there. We saw something from the Raptors on Sunday against the Mavericks. And Nick Nurse is, is trying different things. You know, I've said that this year for, for him and this team is research and development. There's trying as many things throughout the regular season to kind of have their roles, rotations fixed for the postseason because that's how they're going to be judged. We saw some zone against the Mavericks mm-hmm. by the Raptors defensively. And I watched that and I saw, oh, I could see that in the playoffs, specifically against the Sixers mm-hmm. in a situation where Jimmy Butler's decent, three-point shooter, but not necessarily a catch-and-shoot guy. He needs a little bit more rhythm. Ben Simmons is not even looking at the basket from mm-hmm. three. In late-game situations, even though he's their point guard, they put him in the dunker spot right. just because he's not giving them any spacing. Obviously, Redick is a zone buster. I thought, okay, are they trying this because this is something they could use in the playoffs? We saw what to me was a 1-2-2 two, two zone with Kyle at the head of it and Kyle just kind of you know running around and making a nuisance of himself and supplying some ball pressure and that again is the value of Kyle even though we talk about Kawhi and how good he's played the reason why I think Giannis would win MVP over Kawhi is because Kyle in their wins averages around 16 points per game in their losses averages less than 10 on 28 percent shooting they really need Kyle to play well offensively but more so regardless he's giving you effort defensively that one two two zone and Nobody knows his own better than you. You went to Syracuse. <laughs> what challenges does that present an offense when you don't see a lot of zone in the NBA? Right. And very, very few teams play zone. And, and if they do, it's not for more than a few plays. And I think against Dallas, it worked specifically because Dontrich was making all the plays. And even though he was still able to make plays in the second half, I think the zone kind of slowed them down and, and kind of makes you move the ball. And, you know, with Philly, even coming off the bench with guys like McConnell and Shamit, I only really see two legitimate shooters in Redick and Shamit and, and Corksmith a little bit who really doesn't play that much, but I think they're going to struggle to shoot the ball in a sense. And Jimmy Butler's able to knock it down. Obviously Ben Simmons isn't shooting at all. So putting a zone in there and, and kind of having a little bit more help on Embiid might be an option for the Raptors when it comes down to it, if they have to play Philly in the playoffs. Yeah. Sometimes the right decision in the zone is still a good outcome for the defense and against the Mavericks when you had Wes Matthews taking some threes late in the shot clock, Harrison Barnes taking threes late in the shot clock, early in the clock, the ball out of Lucas hands and passing it to either Barnes in the high post or at times DeAndre Jordan in the high post kind of flashing in the middle of that zone. I was watching and like, these are the right play offensively in the zone, but these are also things that, the Raptors will live with rather right. than Luca making a play for himself or someone else. Right. And that's, you know, going back to me playing at Syracuse was why coach chose to play his own. I don't know how many years ago, but you know, forever they've been playing his own at Syracuse. And you know, the one thing he said is just playing the percentages, especially in college, but also playing a team like Philly, the percentages of Ben Simmons, McConnell, Jimmy Butler hitting threes from the outside. I think you'll live with rather than them getting to the basket. And I think that's what the Raptors were looking at. Doncic had a bunch of pick and rolls with Dwight Powell where they ended up in lobs. And I think that going to the zone kind of takes that away with everybody kind of being packed on the inside. And, you know, when you have guys who aren't going to hit from the outside, like obviously you're not going to play zone against the Warriors or Houston teams where they have outside shooters. If you want to slow a team down and I think even go into a zone, guys aren't used to that, you know, at the NBA level. So even if they do figure it out, it'll take them a few plays down then you're able to switch back to man. And I think that's why teams do it, just to kind of slow a team down from what they were doing, and that was the high pick and roll with, with Luca. You look at a guy like Pascal. I mean, he's a guy that Payheim would have loved to recruit, right? For sure. With that length, with that size, with that ability to help and recover. The other reason why I really like the zone, I want to see more of it, especially with JV out, is JV is by far the team's best defensive rebounder. 
Now, when you're playing a zone, and it's possible you could have four guys with feet in the paint at mm-hmm. any given time, right. you now have more people around the basket to kind of gang rebound, which helps you defensively close possessions because possession isn't over, obviously, until it's over, until you secure the ball. Right, and playing against DeAndre might have had a, a, another factor in that, obviously, because he's such a, a really good rebounder. I think he ended up with nine or ten you know, in their game against the Mavericks, but you know, I think that you're able to kind of gang rebound with him. With the Mavericks playing small, I think they're playing uh, Harrison Barnes at the four. I think it, it just kind of made sense for them to go, and it, it ended up helping them. Five made threes from Kyle. Third time he's done that this year. First time since November. I I have a broken shot, so I, I can't look at anyone's and, <laughs> and diagnostically tell you what it looks like. But from a layman, it looks like his shot is better. Does it look better to you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just confidence, honestly. It's easy from the outside looking in to look at a player and just, oh, you got to shoot it with confidence. That's what everybody says. And, and you know, I've went through stretches in my career where guys are, you just got to shoot it with confidence. But when you're out there and you're able to get in the lane, I think it's, and your shot's not falling, your first instinct is to go with what's working. And that's, let me get in the lane. Let me make plays. And I think Kyle was just kind of getting his rhythm back like we talked about last week. I think him missing those games and Kawhi missing games and their lineup being changed so much in the games that those two missed i think he's kind of just finding his footing and and you know in the first half of the mavericks game i think he looked really good shooting the ball shooting it from deep and just kind of being more confident in in his shot and i think um the more games he plays i think you'll see more of that kyle rather than the the one coming off an injury big news that dropped was a woge bomb even though it's not a trade yet but just the fact that danny davis wants a trade rich paul letting him know that he wants to play for a team that can compete for championships year in and year out. So AD is going to swap jerseys. Before we break down that trade, what it means potentially to the league, maybe even to the Raptors, jersey swapping. <laughs> Dwayne Wade is on his tour right. where he's swapping jerseys with guys post-game. And it's like a, a level of respect that I'm the guy who I'm giving you my jersey to put in your rec room and I'm taking your jersey and pretending like I may put in my rec room depending <laughs> on who you are. Like, I don't know if, no disrespect to Tim Hardaway Jr., I don't know if that one's going up in Wade's man cave. I don't know if you've noticed this. Wade's on his farewell tour. I get it. We've seen, like, just random dudes swapping jerseys after games. Is it like it's become, in a way, like soccer? Did I miss this? Or is is this new? Or has this been happening, but now it's just happening in front of the cameras? Yeah, I think it's a new thing, honestly. I've never swapped jerseys i do have jerseys from a few of my close friends that i've gotten not on the court but you know just for for memories in 20 years when you look back you who have, you got what's the roster i got all the canadians essentially i got tristan i got jabari parker who was a close friend of mine playing with the bucks and i i just i think it's just for when you do have the man cave and you you hang it up and your kids ask or whatever but i just uh i don't see a problem with it i think um football guys swap jerseys every day every game and you see them going out there and killing each other essentially so i think it's more of an old school mentality i heard um van gundy talking about it and and mark jackson who had a problem with it but what old school guys say is nba soft nowadays and i think that's just going to continue happening i think when this generation and we're old we're going to look at you know the next generation called they're soft they're spoiled i think that's just the way sports goes and i don't have a problem with guys swapping jerseys i think especially if it's a Dwayne wade a lebron you know a guy who's on his last leg and and kind of finishing up his career and as a young guy, you're able to talk to him, get his jersey, and kind of keep it. Because once he's gone, he's gone. You know, nobody's getting a, a Kobe-worn jersey now, now that he's gone. And I think, you know, looking back, that was to have a Michael Jordan, a Kobe, a LeBron jersey when you're done playing is something that I think everybody would want. But I think it's more to the competitiveness of the older guys. Like, I've never swapped jerseys. I think something I never did was uh, wear people's shoes. You know, uh, I wouldn't wear a LeBron shoe. I wouldn't wear a... CP3 shoe too much. I, I did wear them a little bit. When but you're playing against them or period? Playing against them, obviously. Okay. But, you know, I think guys in the NBA are so competitive. I don't, I don't think you'll be in the NBA if you weren't a competitive edge kind of person. So I don't have a problem with the, the jersey swaps, honestly. But I wouldn't make a habit of it, obviously. But if you're playing a Dwayne Wade or you're playing, a, you know, the uh, holidays playing each other, I think that's a cool thing, a, a good picture to have. But I just wouldn't do it randomly and it kind of be a, a special moment rather than just a, a random jersey swap. See, the holidays playing each other, the Curry brothers playing each other. I get that. For the record, I don't have a problem with it. I'm just putting myself 
in the shoes of guys who aren't stars, I'm like, I just wouldn't be that brave to do it on the court in front of the cameras where like House of Highlights is taking a video. I would have been more like, hey, equipment guy, go get, get that it. jersey from so-and-so. Let me hold that and give him one of mine. To me, I find it interesting that we're seeing it happen more and more. It's like an Instagram photo op, basically, mm-hmm. at this point. BR Kicks, Bleacher Report, had a good article about the inside locker room sneaker wars that happen that no one really knows about. Mm-hmm. Like LeBron, for example, saying no one around here can wear Under Armors and can wear Currys because he's Nike for life. Mm-hmm. Or Draymond saying you can wear Hardens, but not when we're playing against Harden because yeah. you don't want him to feel some type of way. I always, I didn't know it was actually a thing, but I always thought to myself, yeah, I wouldn't want to guard a guy and wear his shoes because right. automatically when I'm checking him off an inbound and he looks down, I would feel sunned. Yeah. I would feel like, yo, you, <laughs> sure. you really, you really are jocking me. So is that an actual code in the locker room where like, okay, I'm, I wear KDs, but two times a year when we go to play Golden State, I got to wear something else. Yeah, I think that's an unspoken rule. I think everybody in the league kind of knows that. Every locker room I've been in, it's if we're playing CP3, we're playing Carmelo, you know, they're going to tell me, I know you're Jordan, but tonight you're not going to wear those. And that's something that I've never wanted to do. And, you know, I think it's just more to the competitive spirit of NBA players. You know, you don't want to look like you're getting sunned. And I think uh, you see a lot of guys wearing Kobe's now, but I don't know how many guys were wearing Kobe's when he was on the court with them. So it's uh, kind of a petty move, but I think everybody in the NBA kind of does that. And, you know, even if your your feet got to hurt for a game or two, you know, not wearing the shoes that you want, I think it's... Uh, Nobody really plans to do that. And, and, you know, if they do, your teammates are definitely going to hear about it. Speaking of petty, P.J. Tucker, who struggles with inbounds, evidently, (laughs) he was wearing the Oregon team issue Jordans. Mm -hmm. And he covered up the Oregon logo. Oh, no, it was uh, Oklahoma. Oh, that's right. It was the Oklahoma I think I know why that. We have um, uh, one of the the trainers, Irv Roland, is a huge Oklahoma fan. I don't know if he's alum, but he's a huge Oklahoma fan. So I'm sure it's a little petty thing. You know, he's getting one of one, basically, size 14s that that he's supposed to wear in the game, and he's covering it up. So I've seen them actually go at it a little bit when they're on the court. And I think that's something uh, a lot of people don't realize, too, in the locker room is how close you get. You know, I think um, you still have the pride of colleges. If Syracuse is playing Duke and Jabari or or Ingram is um, on the other team, you know, there's bets going on. There's trash talking leading up. And... There's a bunch of stuff in the locker room that goes on, and a lot of guys don't talk about it, obviously. But, you know, you kind of get such a close-knit group, you know, being around each other every single day for the entire season. You know, you you grow close, and I think that's, you know, I think that's why you see more jersey swaps with guys getting traded. And if you're my my guy on the team and you get traded and I want your jersey, I think that's why you see it more now. And, and P.J. Tucker, for those who don't know, is a Texas alum. So you've got the Red River rivalry, you know, Big 12 schools, Texas and Oklahoma. It's a rivalry in not just football but in all sports it's funny because i actually and i said this to rj barrett during the summer who like every teenager is wearing jays all of the time like can you wear jays now like you're going to duke yeah like so so if you're wearing jordans like you're kind of hailing up the the greatest player to ever play for your rival school um, oh i didn't think about that yeah I like didn't think about that. Yeah. i don't think it's that i don't think the Duke UNC rivalry is super serious and deep, but I don't think it's. I don't think if they're at the mall in North Carolina and a, a UNC player walks past a Duke, I don't think th- they're still saying what's up. They're still regular. I, I don't think it's that deep, but I never, I never thought about that. See, I think you got to wear some like Grant Hills, like some Philas, <laughs> some Kyrie's, back in the day. So, or yes, thank you <laughs> so, for, for a modern day shoe, some some Kyrie's. Although I've loved seeing, we talked about it last week with. Roy Williams, but now Coach K has mm-hmm. um, I've seen a bunch of coaches wear the off whites. Right, on, Altman. On the, uh, yeah, Altman was the was the next one who did it too, wearing off whites, and the rest of the staff is not wearing off whites. No. Like it's a specific <laughs> thing for the head coach, which is amazing. You mentioned the the brotherhood that guys have for their obviously their current teammates, guys they've played with in the league, but also guys who went to their college, their college teammates. Mm-hmm. The other brotherhood that I think it's a thing, you can tell me if I'm wrong, the other brotherhood is agencies. Guys who are with the same agency, obviously. Times you're you're training with each other throughout the summer. Some agencies put on kind of camps for guys to work out. 
I don't know if there's any agency that's more of a click than Clutch. Mm -hmm. Those guys are basically at Carabana with each other every year. <laughs> yeah. The newest member of the Clutch family is Anthony Davis. Mm -hmm. His agent, Rich Paul, tells the world via Woj, but, but tells the Pelicans... Uh, that Anthony Davis, they're all NBA forward, will not sign an extension in the offseason when he's eligible to. He can become a free agent in the summer of 2020. He wants to trade Dow, and Rich Paul tells me that the preferred destination is a place that allows him to compete on a championship level. So get something for me now before I'm gone and you got nothing for me. I took that to mean one not going to Boston. Danny Ainge has had issues with LeBron in the past. Mm -hmm. Was talking real reckless about him. He's mentioned his camp. Well, who's in his camp? Rich Paul and, mm -hmm. and his boys. So that was them saying, we're not allowing Boston to get into the sweepstakes. Why can't Boston get into the sweepstakes, you ask? Because of the rules rule, which stipulates they can only have one designated contract on their roster at a time. Right now, that contract is Kyrie Irving. Mm -hmm. It's not off the books until July 1st. Thus, Anthony Davis, who is on a designated contract, can't be traded to Boston unless Kyrie's going the other way. So the Lakers, theoretically, where Rich Paul has done great business, got Caldwell Pope, a contract that he wasn't getting anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Next year, LeBron gets there, and now, shortly after, AD may get there. This was, to me, saying, Lakers, you guys have a head start. Right. Not just before the trade deadline, but before July 1 when Boston can get in play. And hey, Boston, we have no intention of AD signing their long term, which is why we're giving the rest of the league, including the Lakers, a head start. Am I reading too much into all of that? No, not at all. I think it was for sure a calculated move to do it right now. Obviously, Boston's not able to. I don't know where exactly Anthony Davis wants to go. It kind of points towards being in LA with LeBron. But... You know, obviously Boston can't trade. Boston has a bunch of, uh, a package of guys that they could give up for AD. Uh, it's up for debate who has a better return for the Pelicans, you know, whether it's the Lakers or the Celtics and picks or, or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, Anthony Davis, I think, kind of holds the power because you can give up, if you're Boston, you can give up Tatum, you can give up a whole package of guys. And if Anthony Davis says, I'm not re-signing, you kind of gave him up for nothing. And at that point, he can leave. I think it's more two things for Anthony Davis to get more money signing with the Lakers if he's traded there and also giving the Pelicans a chance to trade him and get something back rather than him walking and them not getting two superstars or, or whatever the case may be in return for trading arguably a top five, top three player in the NBA in Anthony Davis. So there's so many variables and, and at the end of the day, Right now, Anthony Davis has the power, but the Pelicans could trade him anywhere. And I think the only two teams I think that could offer close to the value of Anthony Davis is the Lakers with the young core and the money and everything and Boston Celtics who aren't able to trade for him right now. I mean, they could trade him everywhere, but if I'm that other team who has to give up a haul for him, I need an assurance that he's going that to he's resign. Gonna resign. Mm -hmm. So people talk about tampering all the time. Is there tampering in the league? Is there not? Magic Johnson's going on Jimmy Kimmel and getting in trouble for tampering. There's no way, and you know how this actually works, but there's no way to me anyone is trading for AD without talking to Rich Paul, mm -hmm. without getting a wink-wink, nudge-nudge that, yeah, he's willing to resign there. And thus, I think you kind of said it, AD has the power. Mm -hmm. The Pelicans aren't really making this trade. They're being allowed to make a trade with one or two or three teams that AD would re-sign with. And so if I'm the Lakers who have shown that they're not willing to give up assets when they don't need to, they lost Paul George basically because they didn't want to trade for him in season. They thought they could sign him outright right. as a free agent. Even though they have a head start on Boston, I could see the Lakers being like, yeah, you can have Kuzma or Ball or Hart or Ingram or a future pick, but you can't have them all because really we're negotiating against ourselves. Right. And I think that's the, the tough part. And I think we kind of gotten to a point in the NBA where the players are, are realizing now how much power they really have. And I don't think the owners are too happy about that. And I think we heard uh, the Pacers owner talk about 
not the Pacers, the um, the Spurs talk about we're not trading with uh, a rival in the West and, and things like that. And I think kind of gets back to being a little bit petty. If Kawhi says, hey, I want to go to the Lakers and, you know, you don't want to seem like he's basically running things and he's able to pick where he wants to go and, and whatnot. So, you know, I think if it's clear he wants to go to the Lakers and that's the best package, I think they'll do it. But, you know, if Boston calls and, and is able to say, hey, we'll give you a package better, I could see them waiting and, and not really caring what Anthony Davis wants at this point because it's about what's going to bring back the best return. So it's kind of up to the teams, Boston, to take that risk and, and try to win them over, you know, kind of like what the Raptors are doing with Kawhi. But at the end of the day, once you hit unrestricted free agency, you get to pick. And if you're willing to give up whatever it is, $30 million to be in LA as opposed to Boston, then that kind of ends up being a decision for Anthony Davis. But I wouldn't be surprised to see um, teams not want to trade with the Lakers because it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do and, and uh, you know, kind of gather assets and draft picks and things like that and kind of get ready to get another two superstars to play with LeBron and win a championship. The team that has shown that, well, we'll risk it. We'll put all the chips in the table, and if it doesn't work out, we'll figure it out. One is the Thunder. The other would be the team in this country, the Raptors. Mm-hmm. They virtually did this with Kawhi because the Spurs weren't willing to deal with the Lakers. Could you see a scenario where the Raptors are like, man, we already have our chips in the middle table. We might as well just double down and go all in and make a move. And really, if we're trying to win it in this window and convince Kawhi that we're serious, really make a move and give up some of our young assets for AD. Could you see that happening? I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. I didn't I didn't think about that before you said it, but why not, really? I think in the East, I think you really have a, a, a really good chance at making the Eastern Conference Finals and possibly winning it, but I think bringing AD from the West to the East is a game changer. And I think at that point, even if, you know, you're you're not able to sign him, I think for this year, you know, you have Kawhi Leonard, you have Anthony Davis, and you have a really good group around them where you're able to compete. And who knows, if you win a championship, how hard is it to, first of all, leave a team that you just won, you know, a championship with, but also leave $30 million on the table. And I think, uh, you know, that's the tough part for players is you're still going to make $190 million, but at the end of the day, $30 million is $30 million, you know, and I think it's tough to live in L.A. And, and know you left $30 million in Toronto or in whatever other team you left. The question is, would that team be good enough to win a championship? Or are you cutting off your nose to spite your face and being a little bit better, but giving up your depth and giving up your future flexibility? If there's a, let's say you're moving one of Ibaka and JV, if you're bringing back AD, mm-hmm. you've got this cavalry of depth from your bench. Sure, take CJ Miles because he hasn't been playing well. Take Norm because he's on an expensive deal. Going to probably have to throw in someone like DeLon Wright. I don't think Raptors fans would care about any of that. The two names that people feel somewhat protective over are Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. Mm-hmm. Do you have any issue putting in either and or both of those guys in a deal for AD? Honestly, I'd give up anybody. Like I said last <laughs> time, I mean, I think there's, you know, Pascal is having an all-star season, obviously. OG is super young and, and still developing, but... You know, is there a chance those Pascal could become uh, the best power forward in the game? Possibly. But we're talking about somebody who is the best power forward, and he's 25 years old. And if you're able to sign him back for five years, you have him till he's 30. And outside of injuries and, and things like that, I think potential-wise, Anthony Davis is up there with Giannis and Luka and those guys who you'd start a franchise around. I would give up not my whole future, but I would give up a piece of it. If you think there is a small chance you'd sign back. If I was the GM of the Raptors, would I pull the trigger if it would sacrifice my future? No. But if I'm able to get him for what I think is a good deal, I, I think I would do it. And you have now you have a 50-50 chance of either Kawhi coming back or Anthony Davis. And, you know, I think any GM would take that that risk. You know, especially with Kyle being one year left on his contract and, and basically having a, a bunch of young pieces. So, you know, if Kawhi leaves and, and Lowry leaves, I think you're basically started from scratch with a bunch of young guys. And, you know, who knows if you're able to sign a superstar, then I would do it. See, if they did do it, I would be inclined to really make it big. Throw in Drew Holiday, take Kyle, like really actually change their perception of the team, get a bit younger, um, get a bit 
cheaper around AD because if you're bringing back AD, it's because you're going to have to pay him. Right. I wouldn't really mortgage everything for AD. I would actually want a little bit more back, but I would be willing to give up more. And in, in, in a guy like like a Kyle or even like a like a Danny Green is someone I would be willing to put in to really get imaginative before we wrap this up. And as usual, because of me, we've gone long. <laughs> All-Stars are going to be announced this week. All-Star Reserves, All-Star Starters were announced. They were pretty much chalk as to what we thought they were going to be last week. Shout out for, to Kemba for being a starter at home in Charlotte. You got the reserves. And the way the reserves breaks down for, for people who don't know is they get nominated by the coaches. The coaches vote, and that's how the, the rest of the rosters get filled out. Just like the starters, two backcourt players, three frontcourt players, and then two wild cards, um, which can be any position. Oladipo obviously is injured, so he's not going to be someone that's named. For me, in the West, which I think is going to be super tough, I think you got a couple locks. I think Jokic is a lock. Mm-hmm. I think Davis is a lock. Right. I think Gobert is a lock. Oh. No? I don't know about Gobert. Okay. So we'll leave Gobert to the side right now. I think Lillard is a lock. Yes and no. I think I would lock Westbrook before I lock down Lillard. Have you seen what Westbrook has been shooting? I have, but they're also playing pretty well. And he's 16 triple doubles on this season. I True. think it is. So. Okay. You're the expert, not me. <laughs> So we got Jokic, Davis, Westbrook as locks. That leaves on the bubble in the West, Gobert, Towns, Aldridge as potential bigs. As guards, you've got Donkic, you've got DeRozan, you've got Lillard. As long shot guys, a Jamal Murray, a Tobias Harris, uh, Gallinari, even Drew Holiday. Mm -hmm. Of that group, and we've had three... Locks, so we have four spots. Who are you filling out the roster with? I think I'm putting Doncic in. Okay, and a lot of guys talk about the old school mentality where he has to pay his dues, but you have a guy who's leading the Mavericks as a rookie at I think he's 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, whatever he is. 19 turns 20 next month. And I think for you to come in as a rookie and lead a team like that, that's impressive to me. So I would put Doncic in there. I would also put Lillard. The other spot, I think maybe DeRozan. And what, was there one spot left? One spot left. You've got, and I could be missing someone, but you got Towns, you've got Aldridge, you've got Jamal Murray, Tobias Harris, uh, Dino Gallinari, uh, Drew Holiday. I think it's tough you, tough to put Drew you've got because the, they, they've the been Warriors playing so bad. guys and Clay and Draymond. Oh, shoot. I think Clay definitely gets in. Draymond, possibly. If you, you don't put DeRozan in, I think Draymond gets in. But the locks guard, I think, would be Clay. Westbrook, Lillard, and Doncic for me, personally. And then um, for the bigs, shoot, I don't know, man. Honestly, I, I, is tough, man. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd put Gobert in there. Really? Okay. I don't think so. I, I, I think I'd put, um, obviously, Anthony Davis and those bigs, but I think it's the guards that's more of a toss-up. I don't think I'm putting Towns in for this year either. Mm-hmm. With how good Jokic has played, I think it's, uh, it's tough to put Towns in, especially with how much they went through in Minnesota. So... We have the opposite problem in the East, where the West, you're like, man, how am I leaving these guys out? In the East, it's like, who am I putting in these spots? Which is why some feel that it shouldn't be East and West. Just who are the just best? Random. Mm-hmm. Who are the best 24 dudes in any given year? So in the East, my locks are: I think Blake Griffin makes it. Mm-hmm. I think Bradley Beal makes it. I think Ben Simmons makes it. So on the bubble, that gives us Vucevic. Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, Tatum, Butler, Siakam, uh, Miles Turner to represent the Pacers, uh, D'Angelo Russell, who's quietly putting up some big numbers. They're all kind of on the bubble slash long shots for me in the East. And then obviously there's Kyle where he's had such high highs and low lows. I'm not really sure where you put him. Who, how would you fill out the additional four spots in the East, assuming you agree that Griffin, Beal, and Simmons are locks. Right. Jimmy Butler. Okay. D'Angelo Russell. Okay. Yeah, I think he's, you know, with Brooklyn, kind of surprising a lot of, Mm -hmm. basically the whole league. You know, they've been playing really well. I think him and Dinwiddie are the catalyst for that. I think Dinwiddie would kind of be in the mix. I I think I'd put D'Angelo just because Dinwiddie's obviously hurt and having surgery now. Um... 
So that leaves us with two spots. Two spots. Middleton. Okay. The Bucks are are playing really well, and he's obviously, you know, the the number two next to Giannis and and playing well. And then Vucevic, and and I think that's, you know, the spot that you could kind of throw Pascal in there with the Raptors being, you know, so good. But you know, I think Vucevic has played well. Um, been in trade rumors every year, basically, and he's always put up really, really good numbers. So I think that last spot is kind of up for grabs, you know, between Pascal. I wouldn't be obviously mad with Pascal making that. Um, Vucevic and and kind of anybody else that you want to put in. But I, th- those are the virtually the team that I would have with the exception of the last spot, you know, with a, a few guys in the mix. So no to your boy Bledsoe and no, no to Kyle Lowry. Lowry, honestly, I, that, I think it would be between Lowry, Pascal, and Vucevic. And with any of the Toronto guys, I think it's kind of rewarding winning, and that's what the league loves to do, and and rightfully so. But I think he's super important to the Raptors, but I also wouldn't be mad if those other two guys made it just because of the games he's missed and and you know we've seen him play at such a high level consistently during the regular season for the last I want to say four years and I think this year with the you know the combination of Kawhi coming and him you know kind of being more of a facilitator and having his games where he's scoring and and just kind of like you said the ups and downs I think it would be more of a it wouldn't be as much of a shock as you know for those guys to make it see I think Vucevic is going to get in. I think Middleton's going to get in. I think Lowry's might sneak in. I think Turner, just to represent the Pacers because Oladipo's hurt, mm-hmm. might get in. And when you look at Vucevic, Middleton, and Lowry, my rationale is who's doing the voting? Coaches. Mm-hmm. And coaches are thinking about guys that they hate preparing for, guys who are assignment sound. That's Middleton to a T, number one. But I think also coaches understand the value that a Lowry has mm-hmm. in a way that even I wouldn't appreciate as a media member in a way that other players may appreciate, but also may hate playing against them. Mm-hmm. And so because it's the coaches specifically doing the voting, they love to reward winning as, as you say. And I think they may value how difficult it is to prepare for those guys, but it's going to be interesting. Let us know what you think, who your all-star starters and reserves would be and should be where we got it right, where we got it wrong. At Tyler, don't at me. I was just giving <laughs> you the names. He's the one who filled out the bracket. <laughs> and let us know uh, if you're down for s- some AD in Toronto. This has been fun. We love having this basketball conversation through the listener. And thank you, Tyler, again, for setting me straight on so many ball topics. <laughs> for sure. Thanks for having me. The Pelicans' mindset headed into at least the trade deadline next Thursday is that they've got to be overwhelmed by an offer to do a trade for Anthony Davis before February 7th. Otherwise, they will take this into the spring. They will finish the season with Anthony Davis. And then, you know, they'll continue to solicit offers, you know, right into the draft and, and maybe up to July 1.